Welcome to the Way of the Bible podcast, inspiring and empowering Christians of all measures of faith to simply believe God and follow Jesus. Join in with our host, Bible teacher and guide, Dr. Philip Zimmerman, as he explores the paths through Scripture that lead to life in the will of God, being joyful always, praying continually, and being thankful in all circumstances, simply by believing God and following Jesus. And now, Dr. Z. Welcome again. This is Dr. Philip Zimmerman, Dr. Z. (laughs) You join me for episode number 132 of Way of the Bible podcast. So glad to have you with me today. This is our fourth of eight episodes in our 17th mini-series, The Man Jesus Christ. On this episode, we're going to look at what the scriptures reveal about Jesus' transition from a private secluded life in Nazareth to active ministry in Galilee. On our first episode of this mini-series, I introduced the topic of biblical Christian discipleship. Salvation, which is often promoted as the central message of Jesus, is only the entrance into eternal life in the kingdom of God now. Jesus brought salvation. He taught about living life in the kingdom of God as a child of God, saved by grace through faith, which would be salvation. This type of living is described in Hebrews chapter 4 as entering the seventh day rest of God. It comes out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And that disobedience you'll see in Hebrews chapter 4 was the disobedience of the Israelites in unbelief. Now, central to our entering that rest is to walk in the yoke of Jesus through our interaction with the living and active eternal Word of God, the Bible. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and the presence of Christ, of where two or more are gathered, all guide us because Christ is with us. We're two or more gathered. Jesus says, I am there with you. So in the yoke, I am not pulling Jesus to my messes and telling him to clean them up. <laughs> Follow me, Jesus. Come over here and clean this up. And in the yoke, I'm not demanding my own wants of Jesus, telling him that he owes me. Jesus, this is what I want and you owe me. <laughs> Jesus is doing all the pulling and heavy lifting of the yoke. I simply walk in his presence and follow where he leads. That's the idea. And what about learning from those I've been listening to, right? And what about listening to me right now? I mean, if I'm in Jesus' yoke learning from him, what about all these other people? Are you, in fact, listening to this podcast? For us both, our learning and rest come from having Jesus as our primary teacher and burden bearer. That's the huge first oyster to swallow, as I said on my first episode, but it does go down easy. And does it mean that we stop listening to others or turn off this podcast as an example? No, absolutely not. We are to take every thought we have on our own or gained from another and make it obedient to Christ. Take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. And how can we do that if we don't know what Jesus said? The Apostle John said in 1 John 2, verse 6, Whoever says he abides in him, that be abiding in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So what does that mean? As we walk out each day, let us walk in the manner of Jesus, doing what Jesus does. And we'll know what Jesus did by studying and meditating upon the Gospels, where his actions are recorded. We will offer our bodies daily as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, and allow him to transform the way we think, So we will know his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
For the past 17 weeks, I've been following prompts of spiritual exercises and daily scriptural readings from a workbook called The Ignatian Adventure by Kevin O'Brien. In this workbook, the spiritual exercise prompts provide the Bible passages to read and what to consider for prayer meditation. Central to the exercises is the ancient Lectio Divina method of scriptural reading, prayer, meditation, and contemplation intended to promote communion with God and to increase in the knowledge of God through His Word. This method was first practiced by the monastics in the 3rd century and has been carried forward to the 21st century as I am a witness and am now practicing. Lectio Divina does not consider Scripture as something to be studied for information's sake. Rather, it considers Scripture as the living Word of God. The living Word calls out to mankind to encounter and plumb the depths of God's revelation. These depths are bottomless, containing all truth God has deemed profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, to the end that in discipleship by the Word and in the Word we would all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's Ephesians 4.13. I encourage you after this episode to look up Lectio Divina, that's L-E-C-T-I-O-D-I-V-I-N-A, Lectio Divina. It is not Bible study where you interpret the Bible theologically or historically. It is a personal one-on-one conversation with God through the Scriptures, and that conversation occurs by reading the text, by praying through the text, by meditating upon the text, and contemplating what you're meditating upon. This is a slow and intentional exercise of closely identifying, assimilating, integrating, and finally synthesizing with the Word such that you and the Word are one. Jesus is the Word made flesh. He is the living Word. As we practice Lectio Divina, over time we will become more like Christ until the Word of God indwells us substantively. Paul describes this last condition best in Colossians 1, verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, this Christ in you is not merely an intellectual assent, but a real manifestation of the person of Christ through the Word of God. The living Word of God manifests in us as we do this practice. For this reason, I'm limiting my comments during the reading of our passages. My desire and prayer for you is that you, like myself, if you have not already, discover the power of the Word of God in Lectio Divina that draws us into the heart of our Father through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, sometimes referred to as a Trinitarian experience that has created a paradigm shift in myself as to what is possible. And I'll share more on this as the episodes continue. But for now, let's continue with today's lesson where we see Jesus's transition from private life to public ministry. We begin with the baptism of Jesus as described in the book of Matthew. But before we get to the primary text, let me preface it with the background text, which happens to do with John the Baptist, who is going to do the baptizing of Jesus. John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. Their mothers were cousins, Elizabeth and Mary. What John was up to is explained in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. I'll just read those, and then we'll make a brief comment. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, a couple of important points we want to know before reading the passage concerning Jesus and his baptism. John was called from birth to prepare the people to meet the one prophesied in the book of Isaiah, the servant, the shepherd, the redeemer, the righteous one sent from God. John warns the religious elites to bear fruit in keeping with repentance because every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He notes that he himself is not even worthy to carry the sandals of the one who is coming. While John baptized with water for repentance, the one coming would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. With that as an introduction, what I'll read next, I'll have little comment on, as this is for you to take to Jesus in Lectio Divina style, reading, prayer, meditation, and contemplation upon this passage. comes out of Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And having just read that, and before your Lectio Divina, I encourage you to put whatever you've heard in the past in regard to this passage to the side, and read the passage in the presence of Jesus. So enter into prayer in the presence of Jesus and read this passage, and pray through the passage line by line. Then meditate on the passage in the conversation with the Holy Spirit as he guides you line by line. And finally, contemplate on the passage as the day goes on. And in so doing, you'll find in the reading, in the prayer, in the meditation, in contemplation, a weaving in and out of the assimilation and the integration and the synthesizing of the word in your mind, in your heart, in your soul. It's just, it's, it's amazing that how it just expands. It's just, it, the word of God is living and active. Of course, I did this a couple of weeks ago on this particular passage, and he just hit me a couple of days ago, the significance of what Jesus passed through in this baptism. 
he'd in essence crossed a line of no return and of no turning back after this point. He crossed the line that was established in triune fellowship before the creation of the world. It says in Revelation chapter 13, 8 regarding Jesus, the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. That's Revelation 13, 8. So that Jesus is known as the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. The significance of this is seen when you read John chapter 17, verse 5 in Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus prays to his father. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. There was a glory that Jesus shared with the Father before the world existed, before he became the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. He had a glory before that. And he's praying to his Father that he would have that glory. With the creation of the world came sin, death, and a Lamb crucified. Jesus, who knew no sin before creation of the world, would become sin for us. And on the eve of his crucifixion, Jesus is asking his father in John chapter 17 for the glory that he had before the foundation of the world. That's pretty unbelievable. But that's just the setup for what he says later in chapter 17. In John chapter 17, verses 22 and 24, it says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. So Jesus is talking about the Father giving him the glory that he had before the world began. Jesus is saying, I'm going to take that glory and give it to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Do you get that? We're going to get the glory that Jesus shared with the Father and the Holy Spirit before the world was ever founded. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to let us know. We have been loved by God since before the foundation of the world. A glory in the presence of perfection separated totally from even the thought or the memory of iniquity, transgression, and sin. What the day that will be like. We will not even have a memory of iniquity or transgression or sin into eternity with God. Unbelievable. Now, up until his baptism, while Jesus was one of us, being human, he was not one with us in some sense, one with us in our nature, in our sinful nature, right? Because he knew no sin. He was God incarnate in human flesh, yes, but without sin, separated from sinful mankind in his nature. He wasn't sinful like we were. John protested at the baptism of Jesus, but complied with Jesus's insistence on being baptized because the baptism was for the repentance of sins, which Jesus had none. And when Jesus came out of the water of baptism, the difference between himself and sinful humanity, I believe, was erased. How that happened, I don't know. Jesus said it had to do with righteousness, the teaching of righteousness. But that, that difference was erased. And he was now fully identified as one with us, yet he was with, still without sin. And I think this is what prompted God, his Father, to send the Holy Spirit onto Jesus and speak of his pleasure with his Son. Why? Because he is now identified as one of us. <laughs> and now that Jesus was identified as one of us, the first place the Holy Spirit took him was not into ministry, but back to the garden, in essence, to undo what Adam had done. I encourage you to approach our next passage in Lectio Divina, the temptation of Jesus by the devil. Do that again by reading, by prayer, by meditation and contemplation on this passage. 
in a little background before we get to the passage, in the Garden of Eden, the serpent tempted Eve to eat the forbidden fruit by using a triggering prompt. He asked her, did God really say? Right Now, this prompt caused Eve to question her trust in God. Was God really looking after their best interests or holding something back? The fruit was from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, that sounds like something important we should know, at least be aware of. (laughs) Then she had three thoughts before taking the fruit, eating it, and giving it to Adam, who also ate the fruit. Comes out of Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now while Eve was deceived, ate and transgressed, it was Adam who ate in disobedience of God's command and sinned. It was Adam, created in the image and likeness of God, the image bearer of God, who sinned and brought judgment, condemnation, and death to all mankind born in the image of Adam. In the first letter of the Apostle John, he tells his readers not to love the world or the things in the world and gives three specific reasons. It comes out of 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. In this passage, John identified three temptations Eve also sensed, even though she and Adam were sinless, having only been created and still in complete fellowship with God. And that sense came from the prompt and bidding of the serpent not to trust God. These three temptations were the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, which are the same thing that John has mentioned. With all that, Lecto Divina, the following passage, comes out of Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. This is the temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give to you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And again, I hope you take me up on this uh, Lecto Divina challenge and read, pray, meditate, and contemplate on this passage. 
Put yourself in the story as a bystander and hear the conversation between the devil and Jesus. Visualize Jesus on the cross and ask him what was going on in this wilderness temptation. (laughs) I can't tell you how much envisioning him on the cross and speaking to Jesus while he's on the cross in prayer is mind-blowing. Is absolutely mind-blowing. But anyway, do that with Jesus and ask him about what was going on with his wilderness temptation. And notice how Jesus handles the situation. What's going on in here? Also notice that the ministering angels who were standing by to assist him when all this temptation was done. Now, the significance of this temptation, again, cannot be overemphasized. Jesus was not deceived, and he did not take the fruits offered by the devil. He would go to the cross and to death on the cross, all without sin, enabling him, Jesus, the God-man, to become the vessel of the totality of sin for all mankind so that the judgment and wrath of God could be reckoned on the sin of all mankind once and for all and for all time. To become, as Paul described, as the second Adam, who gave up his perfect life as a human sacrifice so we could share in his eternal life. And Jesus proved all this by his resurrection from the dead. But of course, then I digress from our topic at hand. Now to our last Lectio Divina passage for you to read, pray through, meditate upon, and contemplate throughout the days ahead. When we last saw Jesus on our last episode, he was 12 years old in Jerusalem with his parents for the Passover celebration. And it seems that for at least three days, he was sitting at the feet of the teachers in the temple while his parents were searching for him because he had gone missing on their trip back. Now, the ministry of Jesus began after his baptism in temptation. So you have him living from age 12 to probably age 30 with no word. And he did not go back down to Jerusalem to announce himself, but rather stayed in Nazareth until he heard of the arrest of John and then began his public ministry. The passage I'm about to read tells why he stayed in the area and what he preached once he started. And again, can't overemphasize the significance of what Jesus preached and therefore risk a spoiler alert of your Lectio Divina. Jesus preached repentance for the kingdom of God was at hand. The same message as John. What is the kingdom of God they were speaking of? Again, a great thing to ask Jesus. Now let's get started with this short passage. It comes out of Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. Now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, The peoples dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death on them, a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And with that, we end the reading of passages for this episode. But I prayerfully hope this is not the end of your time with these passages. We read today, starting in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, to Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, which addressed Jesus' transition to public ministry, from private life to public ministry. This transition included his baptism by John, his temptation by the devil, and the beginning of his public ministry after he heard that John had been arrested. I encourage you to read up on Lectio Divina. Again, that spelling of that is L-E-C-T-I-O-D-I-V-I-N-A and give it a try with these three passages. God our Father, 
Jesus Christ our Savior, and the Holy Spirit our Counselor are all ready for your Trinitarian fellowship in the reading, in your prayers, in your meditation, and in your contemplation. And with that, we end this episode. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, follow, rate, and review the show. Show notes and other resources are found on my website, wayofthebible.com. Join me on the path. Write me a note. I would love to hear from you. And let me end this episode as I end all my episodes by saying simply believe God and follow Jesus. Live as a child of light overflowing with living water and the will of God, being joyful always, praying continually, and thankful in all circumstances. Be blessed, my brothers and sisters. We hope this episode of Way of the Bible has you feeling inspired and empowered to simply believe God and follow Jesus. Remember to search the scriptures to confirm what you've heard today. And join us next episode as we continue to discover together the treasures of wisdom and knowledge hidden in Christ and be transformed daily by the renewing of your mind. Knowing God's will for you is a life filled with joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. Be blessed.